these barriers are being removed as uh, it's becoming more common and normal for an ordinary person to actually use the internet to use all these services, then I think we can have a easily attained middle class status because it is key. I think it is necessary using digital tools to push you up. Are you looking for vital information? Find it in this podcast segment on reports. In an age of visual fatigue, lend me your ears. Stats and data easily broken down for you. With your host, Aggie Patricia Terwamli. Shout out to Zakmo Abdurrahman for working on this audio. You are doing the most. Thank you. We'll be looking at Solomon Rukundo's working paper, addressing the challenges of taxation of the digital economy. Lessons for African countries. Now, if you have not had Solomon, he's an absolute legend. We had him on the podcast before. He's back now. So check out the link in the show notes below so you can follow this conversation. His paper argues that African countries should participate in the multilateral discussions on the reform of international taxation needed. Well, you might think this episode is not for you. You could be wrong. With the proliferation of the digital economy, which includes the novelties like digital e-commerce, virtual education, smartphone apps, and collaboration platforms, you could be benefiting from it already. So let's sit back and welcome Solomon Okundo. So Solomon, tell us about addressing the challenges of the taxation of the digital economy, because there's a recent proposed change to the digital services tax bill. First, take us back and then you bring us forward to these changes. What were you trying to discuss in this paper? What were your objectives? The challenge of the digital economy arises, there are a number of aspects to it, eh? mm-hmm. but broadly, the, the main aspect that is discussed internationally is the erosion of the existing tax base. Before we go further to the challenges, what is the digital economy in your understanding? Uh, a, a key thing to note here is that it is different from e-commerce. Yeah. The, the two are actually different. Yes. E-commerce is the normal buying and selling of goods being transferred online, being done electronically. That is not a very big challenge from a policy perspective when it comes to tax policy being the law. The law that applies offline when I buy and sell you goods. Ordinary transactions, buying and selling of goods, the way they are taxed offline can easily be done online in terms of the law. The question is more practical, administrative, and that's a different question. So, for example, if, if someone was selling goods in a shop that's traceable downtown versus someone selling goods on social media. Legally, they're in the exact same position. It's just a question of one being easier to trace than the other. However, the digital economy specifically is an economy that has arisen because of the digital technologies. So it does not exist in the offline world. What this means is things like Facebook, Google, Netflix, the way they operate is like nothing comparable to what exists in the offline environment. Because in the online environment, the dynamics are very different. They are able to operate uh, across jurisdictions without any real control. They are able to deal with individual consumers, you and I. We can deal with Netflix online without any intervention from uh, any government, any restriction, any permission granted. And so that's a whole different kind of economy. That it poses uh, uh, some challenges. eh? And the challenges are largely twofold in two, two types of taxes. We have the direct taxes and the indirect taxes. So the direct tax is the normal income tax that we know. Yes. And the, the, the income tax, you, if you earn income, you're going to pay tax on that income. Now, where the challenge arises is that income tax 
when it comes to international transactions, has historically always been about the jurisdiction in which you are operating. So that means that there will be an actual question over the taxability of income and depending on the way it is actually paid to the person. Mm -hmm. So the ordinary way in which non-residents, those who are not in Uganda yes. and are supplying a, a service in Uganda are expected to be taxed is by withholding tax, meaning that you who is in Uganda, when you consume that service, you import the service into Uganda and you're, you're paying that person, you're going to pay them less a certain amount. And that difference is going to be a tax which you're going to remit to the, the government of Uganda. So that withholding tax, however, only makes sense in the business-to-business transaction. When the one importing the service in Uganda is a business and it is importing the service from another country. So, for example, look at Zoom service. If you have maybe a bank in Uganda and they're going to be, uh, you know, talking on Zoom, using Zoom as a service, they may choose to they may have to pay for it. And in that instance, when they when they import that, that's an electronic service, they're going to make the payment. And when they're paying, they're going to pay less by the withholding tax, which is 15%. Yeah. And the bank is actually going to do that. The reason being, the bank has to file income tax returns at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And in that income tax return, it has to account for the expense it incurred on that service. Now, if it did not withhold the 15%, then there will be a question as to uh, why it did not withhold. URA would raise a query on why it did not withhold. So it is compelled to withhold the 15%. Now, when it comes to a supply to an individual, you or myself, that's where there is a challenge mm -hmm. because we don't have a reason to, to file returns. So even though the law were, were to oblige us to withhold, we will not withhold either way. I, and it doesn't even make sense withholding. Right. If I'm paying $10 for Netflix right. and I'm going to have to withhold 15%, that's $1.5. And yeah. to pay that in the, in the bank, paying to the URA, I'm going to have to, to incur 2200 That is uh, the bank charge plus uh, excise duty. And uh, then I, I'll have to file a return to account for that. For, 10, for the sake of $10, it makes yeah. absolutely no sense. I must say that recently Facebook, so normally at the agency, we use ads on different social media platforms. So Facebook of recent is asking for teen numbers. And I can explain that. And mm -hmm. that is to do with the indirect tax. Here we're talking about the direct tax. So this is a challenge with the income tax. The challenge with the direct tax is that in this instance, as regards income tax, you ideally, when you're making a payment to Facebook or any, or any other entity, you're supposed to withhold you. The obligation is on you, not on Facebook. As I've pointed out, that would be difficult for you to implement. So the, the solution which was proposed in the tax bills but has been rejected by parliament for the, and there are a number of reasons why that was done was to shift the burden to the non-resident entity so that Zoom, Facebook, or any one of those entities is required to register and account for the income they are earning. So it would be a percentage of the gross. The proposed amount was 5%. So basically, any amount you pay to them, 5% of it would come back as tax to the government of Uganda. Mm -hmm. And what you are raising, the, the requirement for a team is regarding indirect tax, VAT. Because the challenge with the VAT, now VAT, you have to first understand it's a consumption tax, meaning that it is a tax on you, the consumer, not on the entity. So Facebook doesn't pay VAT, it remits VAT. It simply collects and takes to, to, to URA, charges on URA's behalf. So why Facebook is requiring a TIN is because of the law in Uganda. The reason it requires the TIN is to determine whether or not you are VAT registered. Because the law in Uganda is such that if you are VAT registered 
and you import a service, an electronic service, then you, the VAT registered person, you're the one going to do what is called a reverse charge or self-billing. You will charge yourself VAT and remit it to the URA. Now, remember, VAT registered persons are usually businesses, not ordinary, not final consumers. Yeah. So, however, if you are not a VAT registered person, so a final consumer like you and I, and we wish to advertise on Facebook or use any of the services, you should encounter the same requirement with Netflix. You should be encountering the same requirement even with Google now. Uh, when you're advertising, they will ask you for the tin. If you're not VAT registered, then they are the ones going to charge you the VAT and then remit it. Right. So when you put in your TIN, if you're VAT registered, you will not be charged VAT because you're the one going to charge yourself. Mm. If, however, you are not VAT registered and you put in your TIN, then it is going to be uh, Facebook to charge you. I haven't used the ads system, but they should have an option. If you don't have a TIN, they'll still allow you to advertise, but they will charge you VAT. Great. Solomon, just so you can speak on this digital transition or transformation, we, at least Uganda, did leapfrog quite a bit. So what are the challenges, especially some of them are very new to us because none of the countries have gone through them, or what are the lessons we can learn from other countries that have already been been there? Before? Why the digital challenge is, it's unique in a number of ways globally, when looked at globally. It's unique because uh, all countries are still grappling with it. With many challenges, policy challenges that we, that come up, usually we will say, let us just borrow what others have done. Look at the UK for best practice, look at the US for best practice, and just copy what they've done and bring it here. But when you look at the global studies on the digital economy, you find everyone is still grappling and trying to understand what to do. I, I know that many people probably just keep hearing about all kinds of debates taking place without knowing the, the details. And we need not go into those details, but there are details of debates taking place at the OECD. Uh, that's a gathering of, uh, call it the developed countries, basically, the, 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 the high-income countries uh, uh, gather and agree on economic on economic issues. And so there are all kinds of debates taking place there. What's interesting there is that the divide, first take note of, is that there is a divide globally between basically the US on the one hand and all the rest of the world. And why that is, is because most of these digital companies come from the US. Mm. So you have even Europe is on the side of, of the rest of the world this time. So okay. that's why they're facing the challenge of the same challenge we're facing of base erosion. What they call base erosion is the tax base. The people who could be taxed are being eroded. I, for example, I subscribe to a website called Script. It's an app. I access books and I read them. Because of that, I no longer buy books from Aristo. I used to buy two, three books from Aristo every month. So I no longer buy books from Aristo, and yet Aristo has to pay rent. Uh, Aristo has employees. Aristo is paid government. But uh, yeah, that's, it's it is not my problem at all. And the people who are subscribing to Netflix, uh, by the virtue of that, are not watching. Um, I don't know the local TV stations. Anymore. I don't have a TV. Uh, Same. Yeah. They don't watch NBS, NTV, and every other TV station. And because of that, that it's cost. It's uh, going to cost those TV stations in terms of advertising. And it's going to cost the government in terms of revenue. So there is a base erosion taking place. Now, the challenge, though, for Africa and many you know, low-income countries like Uganda, why it's different from that of Europe. So that what I've described cuts across. Europe is facing the same challenge. Africa is facing the same challenge. Why the one of Africa becomes a bit unique is that for Europe, their challenge comes from the big players that we all know, Netflix, Google, and all these others. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, uh, to Africa here, 
and Uganda, we have the unknown, the lesser known entities as well, coming in and supplying all kinds of services. The ones from China, the, you know, most people probably don't know, don't, don't know Script, most of them probably know uh, of Amazon as a source of books. The smaller players as well are at play here. And why that is important to note is that globally, the rules that are being developed currently in terms of how to tax the digital economy are targeting the really big entities. They are putting high thresholds. So for example, they will say you have to be making the equivalent of, of something like $65 billion in gross revenue in order to be taxed a certain way. Now, that's Google, Facebook, and these really big entities. But the small players that are active in Africa are not being seen. There is a bit of a divergence, and that's why you find in the low-income countries, certain types of taxes called the digital service tax uh, or, or different different departure from what, what's the international norm are being adopted, like the one that was proposed in Uganda. The, the debate over the validity or, or whether the, the tax is the, the best thing to adopt or its usefulness is one that we can always have, but that's a long, a much longer discussion to have. Yeah. But it is, it is a, a debate worth um, considering and knowing that it is that the African situation is is somewhat unique and the, the resources that the developed countries may have, the European countries are not the ones that African. The, when it comes to the digital economy, the challenge, as I pointed out, is that we have uh, uh, in the business-to-consumer transactions, you have uh, an unresident entity supplying a final consumer like you and I when we're using Netflix or when we're advertising on Facebook or when I subscribe to to script, to, uh, to read books, and I have no incentive to account for the VAT or to withhold on income tax, which the law would ordinarily require. So the alternative is now to target the non-resident entity. So that is Facebook, Google, that's providing these electronic services. The way that is done is through changing the law in order to put the burden on them under certain conditions. So, for example, in the income tax, the bill, what was being, that was rejected by parliament, what was being proposed was that on all income that comes from Uganda that is earned by a digital service provider, like Google, Facebook, Netflix, and all these others, then they would have to pay back 5% of the gross. Then um, for VAT, the, the burden is on the non-resident when they supply a final consumer like you and I. When they supply a business, then there's not going to be the withholding. They're not going to charge VAT. But when they supply UOI, then they will charge the VAT. So that's why they will ask for a TIN. If your TIN has VAT on it, because they are linked to the URS system, they can actually tell. They use a, an API to link to the URS system in real time. As you put in your TIN, it, it can tell whether there's VAT registration or not. And then they will charge you VAT or they won't charge you VAT. That's the way of get, trying to get, in, get around the challenge. Where these solutions fall short is somewhat obvious. I mean, in some scenarios, there is the obvious question of enforcement. What will you do if Google refuses to register for VAT or to account for the 5% that you have placed? Absolutely nothing. The revenue authority would be, be relying largely on reputational risk for these entities, which is a real concern. It is not something to be dismissed so lightly. If it breaks out in you know, global news that Google is refusing to pay taxes in Uganda, it can be a problem. To the point, some of these entities are opted to stop doing business in certain jurisdictions rather than be non-compliant. So if, for example, they felt the 5% is too high in Uganda, 
some of them would actually opt not to supply services in Uganda and they would, they would rather than risk being non-compliant. Even on their part, the non-resident entities, as big as they are, what the revenue authority would be asking them to do or what the law is requiring them to do is sometimes a bit difficult. You're saying that Google's interface, Facebook's interface, Netflix's interface with Uganda is supposed to be uh, tagged to a certain tax. They have to monitor. Those are things which they may not necessarily ordinarily do. They now have to specialize website version for for Uganda, that when the Uganda accesses, then that's when VAT will kick in. If the Uganda doesn't access, then VAT will not kick in. When you do that, you're telling them they now have to know who is accessing and where they're accessing from. Yeah. That can bring in data protection issues. For Like in Europe, the Europe has stringent data, data protection laws. May need to infringe a little bit in some sense by knowing your IP address to you know where you are located. They have to know maybe where your billing address because are you, are you billing from Uganda? People, some people may be using VPNs. You know, it, it gets a little complicated along the way. And I remember when Facebook was shut down in Uganda, there was such a debate about, you know, small businesses being hindered or even some of them completely closed because some of them were running their businesses on Facebook. Do you think some of these taxes, for example, the digital tax hinders such growth? Those are the wider kind of debates that needs to need to be held. The reason why Parliament rejected the digital service tax was because of that question. They said there didn't seem to be enough research. They felt there was not enough research done. The committee of Parliament, the finance committee, had actually recommended that it be passed, but then there was a minority report rejecting it. It was presented by Mohammed Sereko, Honorable mm. Sereko. And his argument was that he did not see sufficient research to show the cost-benefit analysis of this tax. And those are the arguments that are being made globally because there are different possible solutions. One is the global solution. It's say Facebook accounting globally for all of the different revenues from the different countries and the government gets some of the tax here. But if you have a specific uh, target by Uganda and Uganda says 5%, it may be that 5% is too high. Why would it be too high? Because Kenya has 1.5%. Kenya is opting to participate in the global arrangement as opposed to going at it alone. Tanzania has 2%. They, all revenue authorities in Africa, uh, they have an organization called the African Tax Administrators Forum, an organization for revenue authorities. ATAF, that's ATAF, Africa Tax Administrators Forum, has done research on this issue and recommends between 0 and 3%. But then Uganda is proposing 5%. What's the basis for the 5%? Is, was it arrived at empirically or was it a think of a number? Five just looks better than three or two mm -hmm. or one. So there are actual questions about this and those questions were not being answered. And that's why the tax was rejected. Because it said there has to be a trade-off. Mm -hmm. You have to consider what I had told you that Aristoc is, I'm no longer going to Aristoc. Mm -hmm. uh, people are no longer watching TV. People are not going to the theaters, the national theater. I, I went there recently and I hadn't been there in a very, very long time. When you go to attend them, they're going to charge you VAT. But if you're watching Netflix, instead of going to uh, attend the play, then if Netflix isn't charging you the VAT, then the government is losing. So you now have to actually weigh and consider and determine whether it is it makes more sense to target this uh, and the, the costs involved. Because uh, definitely if the costs go higher, then people are, fewer people are going to use these services. If, if fewer people are advertising on Facebook, the smaller businesses are, are, are suffering. And that's a very valid point because to advertise on a TV station, it's only Coca-Cola. The ads I saw as a kid was Coca-Cola ads and the big companies. Mm -hmm. But on Facebook, actually. Yeah, they're the ones who could afford that. But on Facebook, you, you can reach a global presence, just, you know, $30 and you, you, you can reach the whole world. So there are things to consider there. It's a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah.
This paper, guys, if you're interested in the conversation and you'd like to read deeply, please check out the show notes below so that you can download the paper and have a look. So in this paper, you caution as we are addressing the challenges, there are some final solutions that you are addressing that have to be uniquely African. What are those solutions? Yes. So one of the, the main points I make is that the, the solutions have to be uniquely African because the problems of Africa are different from the ones faced by the other jurisdictions. Mm. Africa's challenge, as compared to the other jurisdictions, is the kind of entities that are playing here are considerably different. Then the African revenue authorities lack the same resources that mm. those other countries have. Mm. So, for example, one of the ways of, of getting uh, information regarding how much Google has made from your country would be to go to their international databases, which you can use to access information uh, and that can give you something that approximates that. Those databases cost quite a bit for you to, to have access to. These uh, revenue authorities in uh, low-income countries generally do not have that access. It costs too much for them. I, I know at, at the time I left the URA, I think that stopped paying for some of them. And so it means they are at a big disadvantage, so they cannot adopt the same solutions. Then Africans also have to consider the position that you're in. In the developed countries, they have already reached a you know, saturation point. Everyone has uh, access to the internet. Here, people still don't have access to the internet. And yet we're moving to a world where everything is going to be digitalized. So you want a border guy to have the access, to have an email address. Mm. Now, how is he going to learn how to use an email? He will start with WhatsApp. Because yep. once you can send WhatsApp messages, you can create an account. We're moving towards an email. Mm -hmm. Then from there, you, you can you open a Facebook account. Once someone can operate a Facebook account, it's it's a few steps away from using an email, from using all kinds of electronic services, opening their account. Everyone who has a team has an account on the URA portal. If you can operate a, a Facebook account, it's a few steps away from operating your account on the URA portal and accessing all other kinds of services. So you have to you have to consider are you hindering that? So it might be that in some instances you you may not you may choose not to take the same direction that these other uh, countries are taking. Yeah. So they, that's why I say the solutions have to be uniquely African, and you also have to consider the African startups mm. that you you may wish to to not hinder small businesses at the beginning that have potential to grow. You have Netflix, which is global and will show Western movies, but you may want to facilitate the growth of maybe one that's going to show African movies specifically. And, and you want, to, you want to, to keep it growing. And so you have to find a way to target Netflix without hindering the growth of these ones here. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So knowing that, what would then be your recommendation? So I think for a digital economy to thrive, we need infrastructure. We need the systems, for example, the payment systems and say the regulatory framework. So what would then be your recommendations? You can start wherever you want. The first thing would be dedicating more research to this. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, I, I did participate in, and there are some studies which have not been published, unfortunately, but the URA did conduct some studies on the taxation of the e-commerce e and of the digital economy. We did a few studies when I was there. I'm sure they're still doing even more now that I've left. I am a part of one. There's one we're doing with the URA right now. And I'm sure they have many others. And also other entities are doing studies. But they still fall, fall short. They, why I say they fall short? Because, for example, this time we had an engagement with the UCC, Uganda Communications Commission, and they couldn't tell us some basic information. We would want to know how many people access Google from Uganda every year, every month, every day. And they couldn't give us that information. Uh, they, maybe they have it and feel they shouldn't give it. Or, you know, for all kinds of reasons. 
uh, Bank of Uganda was also hesitant to give information. We wanted to know how much payments were going to some of these entities. They were very reluctant to share the information. So it was difficult to do empirical research. So that's why you find most of the studies that are done uh, remain largely qualitative. It's a feel, a sense, you know, and you, it can be very subjective. I use the internet a great deal in my life. I, in fact, I think I am always on the internet. My phone is permanently, has permanent access. I, if When the internet was shut down during election season, I went back to reading, you know, manual books for the first time. UCC report says that there are 22 million Ugandans accessing the internet. That sounds unlikely, in my opinion. Uh, and I, actually, I just I don't think, believe that. I think there are 2 million active internet users. They, but if, if you check the UCC report, the yeah. annual report, they say yeah. there are 22 million. And the way they count an internet user, they say is by one person accessing at least once a month. I love to, yes, compare notes with the government agencies, but we also use a lot of like third parties, especially us in the digital economy, especially in media usage. So we'll try and get, say, Statista or StatsCounter or GMSA. There are quite a few, actually, but we yeah. don't know how factual they are. I would tend to trust some of those ones much more. Amazon can give you good uh, data on, on mm. usage of your website. All that would come at a cost. And yeah. yet, you know, in government, you're, you're so restricted in yeah. how much you can spend on the research. So There's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and you guys in research. Do you have any tools at the moment that are being developed, are already existing to help your work move faster? Within artificial intelligence, I'm not aware of the tools yeah. that are being developed. I'm sure they are. Recently, a good friend published an article in uh, the Uganda Law Society Law Journal about artificial intelligence. I found it very, very interesting. He's called Collins Tumukunde, and it, it's published in the Uganda Law Society Journal that came out. It was launched yesterday. All right, great. Okay. Society Journal. It's a very good piece. Uh, he co-authored it with uh, someone called Maureen. I know both of them. Maureen okay. Nyakatu. Yeah, I'll it's have, a very fascinating piece. Yeah. Tell us about the future of the digital economies, at least in Africa. What I've realized, you're very specific on not focusing on Uganda. And then I realized, okay, yeah, digital economies don't work individually. So. Yes. In Uganda, we are at a point, a sort of watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Depends on the direction that we choose to take. Because depending on, and there are, there are multiple factors apl- applicable at once. I, I lived in Tanzania for five years. I, I did my undergraduate there and I worked there for one year before I came I came back to Uganda. To this day, I'm in touch with some of my colleagues online in Tanzania and the digital space in Tanzania is different from the one in Uganda, culturally. Uh, the, there are cultural aspects. People behave differently on the internet. The way we live, the, some people are freer than others. Some people are more restrictive. There are things on WhatsApp groups in Tanzania, which when I say, I can actually get kicked off. Yes, in Uganda, I can casually say that, you know, people behave very differently. So it's it's the cultural aspects, the social cultural aspects. You have the political aspects to consider and the technological aspects as well. All of them are going to factor in working together. There are people who buying something, they need to, to see it physically before they can actually buy it. So they will never buy something online, ever. Uh, it's just and, and there's a cultural aspect to that it's yeah. just a given and so you're never going to get them online there are people who are so cautious about security cyber you know that, is, that they will never do online banking and that it's just not going to happen they are for all kinds of reasons there are people who are afraid everything is being monitored so the, the cultural aspects then the political aspects the, the people who look at the internet as an attack you know on power on uh, inherently uh, everything on the internet is always bad and all these things are, come, are, play, are coming in play at once and all across Africa. In some sense, all across the world, but 
really on, in Africa's it were at that point of change yeah, of choosing one way or the other. So depending on the way certain things go, I can see a world where everyone has gone digital. There are people who are scared of losing their jobs because of the digital, and I don't blame them. Uh, you know, are, when you look at ChatGPT, it could put even me out of a job. No. So there are all kinds of, of things that play at once, and okay. they all have to be taken into consideration. Depending on how they play, I think there's a world where all of us go digital function, and it is it's something we're all doing, and we're all casual, and, and it's normal, and it's no longer... You know, Alternative, you know, they usually speak of alternative media, alternative spaces, alternative. It's no longer the alternative, but it is the, the mainstream. Oh, wonderful. So in the digital economy phenomenon, how can we then best achieve the middle class economy for 2040? Excellent question. I think if digital tools are made affordable, if accessibility, because barriers are always the problem, and there are all kinds of barriers. There are, you know, economic barriers, gender-based barriers, and there are every kind of barrier that you, you can find can prevent you from being effect, completely effective. So these barriers are being removed as uh, it's becoming more common and normal for an ordinary person to actually use the internet to use all these services. Then I think we can have a easily attain middle class status because it is key. I think it is necessary using digital tools to push you up because I'll give you an example. My research, I cannot imagine doing the research I do without the internet. I, I mean, I would not do it. There are years when I've published six papers in one within one year. I would definitely do one paper a year. If I had to move library to library, you know, look for a book. I download books online. I access everything on, seated on my computer. I access almost everything I need. Even interviews, you conduct the interview on your computer through Zoom. I think it is very essential for people to go digital and push them and move them uh, upwards. Thank you so much. Your insights are always invaluable. And we look forward now to be, for you being a regular on the podcast on reports. It's a topic that should be known and it's not getting enough attention to it. So I'm happy that um, we're doing something to inform the young Ugandans about their yeah. duties and also just notice what fuels the wheels of our economy. So thank you so much, Solomon. Give us your feedback. We're on Facebook, on Uganda Podcast and Instagram. If you're looking for any other communication solutions or you'd like to be hosted on this platform, Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Aggie Patricia Turomwe and Aggie Patricia on Twitter.